Welcome to Victory Fellowship's online podcast library. We hope you enjoy this message today. I have an, a, an awesome word on God's, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that I want to share with you tonight. Um, I'm excited about that, I'm, and I'm excited about Mother's Day. Today is Mother's Day. I feel like I have a word for the moms this morning. And, you know, as I was, I, I preached, preached this message last night at the North Shore Church, and as I was getting ready to, to, to minister, I was reminded of, of something that Dick Mills said over and over again, probably said it every time that I heard him minister over the many years that he, that he came to our church. But he'd always say, just as he was getting ready to give somebody a word, he'd tell, he'd, he, after he gave him the word, he'd turn to everyone else in the congregation and, say, and he'd say, repeat with me, I'll take that. And, um, you know, so many times, and this is, this is the uniqueness of God's Word. God's Word is powerful, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's alive, and it enters our heart and touches our lives personally, you know. But, but it can, it, the same exact Word can do something different and communicate something different in thousands of other people at the exact same moment. And so, you know, this morning I have a, a particular word from the Lord for, for, for women and for moms. But I want every guy in this place to repeat this with me. I'll take that. See, come on, that wasn't good enough. Say it again. I'll take that. I'll take that. I'm, now, we're not, we're not, I'm not satisfied with that. Say this with me. Say, say I'll take that. Say it. One more time. Okay. Come on, guys. You know, the, the word of the Lord is powerful. So anyway, this Hebrews 11.35. It says, what a short, powerful verse. This is, of course, the famous chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. Paul is preaching his guts out about those that have gone before us and about the men and, men and women of faith. And he gets to the end, he says, I can't even, he said, I have so many things to say, I can't even tell you about all the stories that are going through my mind right now. I'm running, running out of space and running out of time. And he mentions one, one passing comment that he made about people in the Old Testament. He said, women received their dead raised to life again. Women received their dead raised to life again. And he had in his mind the several accounts of women in the Old Testament that had dead Boys, dead children come alive through the word of God. And you know, there was, there was of course, a, a circumstances and instances like that in the Old Testament, but there were also instances like that in the New Testament. In the ministry of Jesus, in the ministry of Peter, there were dead people raised back to life again. Shocking. Um, but you know, the, 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 the uniqueness of, of course, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christ was raised from the dead he never went back into the grave. Amen. Every one of the others that were raised from the dead ended up dying again later on in life and ended back up in the grave. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ was, was totally different from that. Today, I want to talk to you about dead things coming back to life. Amen. 
dead things. There's things in your life. You know, there's, there's women in here that have, that have lost their dreams, lost their hopes. Some have lost their marriages, lost their husbands, lost their children. If not physically, maybe they're still alive or maybe you're still legally married to them. But, but you know what I'm saying, you've lost them. There's no, there's no connection there anymore. No connection with your husband, no connection with your children. Maybe you've lost dreams, lost your, your, your faith, lost your, your joy because of setbacks and unexpected disappointments. I wanna share with you today about having those things brought back to life again. You can live again, you can live again. Your best life can be just in front of you when the, with the touch of Jesus, when Jesus touches your life. Here's one instance of that. This, I could, this came from a blog that I wrote a while back last year called Dead Boys and Girls. And it comes from the, one of the miracles of Jesus. You know, Jesus was, um, it says he was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. And in this particular story, Jesus was going into this little town called Nain. And the Bible says he had a large entourage behind him of disciples and followers who were following him because of the miracles that had been taking place. And as he was going into town, there was another large crowd of people coming out of town. And you, it could be said that there was, a, there was a procession of life and a procession of death that met on the outskirts of the city of Nain. Because coming out of Nain was this funeral procession. And if you read the story, you'll find out that a, that a widow, a woman who had lost her husband and who had only had one child in her life, had now lost her, her only son. A widow who had lost her only son and she was grieving and leading the procession to bury her boy outside of town. And you know what happened. Jesus stopped the funeral. He stopped them. He looked at the mom and put his hand on the casket. When Jesus puts his hand on your casket, something happens, I'm telling you. Some of you are walking around like you're already entombed. You're walking around like you've got embalming fluid in every part of your body. From all to hide from the tip of your toes to the top of your head. I'm telling you, if you'll stop for a moment, Jesus will stretch his hand out and put his hand on your casket. And when that happens, well, I'm telling you, when that happens, everything comes alive. Everything in that casket comes alive. You come alive. Your dreams come alive. And it begins to infiltrate into your family members. It begins to touch their lives. Amen. So I want to talk to you about that this morning. This is a blog that, like I said, that I shared a, a few months back. Jesus came and he touched the open coffin. And those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. I bet that caused some interesting responses. What do you do when your world comes crashing down all around you? Sometimes there's, there's nothing you can do. Often our crisis is beyond us. Nothing we could ever say or do could ever fix it. And that's how this day was for the grieving mother in Nain. Her only son had just died. To make matters worse, she was a widow. Being without her husband had taken its toll on this poor woman. But her son, 
This was way too much to bear. Her world had come to a screeching halt. She had no answers. All she could do was weep as she stumbled toward her son's final resting place. That's when the unthinkable happened. Suddenly, the funeral march stopped. This unusual character approached the casket. He looked at the mother with compassion and hope streaming from his face, and he said, don't cry. Then he turned to the dead boy, young man, I say to you, arise. Mourning was changed for dancing. Shouts of joys replaced the tears. Sadness was replaced by joy unspeakable. The boy was not dead. He was alive. Maybe you feel like your world has died. Be encouraged. This stranger is still raising lives from the dead. Now this morning, I'm not talking about physical dead. I'm talking about spiritual dead. I'm talking about people who have lost their hope, lost their dreams, lost their families, lost their finances, lost their house, lost their health, lost their children. I'm telling you, it can come back alive by the touch of God in Jesus' name. This is what Luther said about that story. He said, all this has been written to the end that just as here this deed of mercy befell this widow freely and entirely of grace only because it solicited Christ's sympathy. So from this we can draw the general rule that applies to all the merciful deeds of God that they all overtake us without our merits even before we seek them. He lays the foundation and he makes the beginning. But why does he pity us? In this way, it continues to be the grace of God. It's God's grace. He stopped this woman. He stopped her in her misery. He stopped her in her march to destruction. He stopped her. He interrupted her life. Oh, Lord, give me that kind of interruption. Maybe today you've got no hope. Your hope is dim. I'm telling you, Jesus is in this place, and he can interrupt your life in a moment of time. He says... If we deserved it, it would not be grace. And if it be of grace, then we can say to him, thou art a gracious God. Thou dost good also to those who deserve it not. You may think you are undeserving or not spiritual enough to receive a miracle. Actually, miracles are never earned or deserved. They are gifts of grace that the Lord performs to display the wonders of his grace. This woman was not expecting a miracle. She probably didn't even know who Jesus was. He stepped into this woman's life unexpectedly. He still makes those unexpected visits in our world today. Each one of us are like that dead boy in Nain. We were born in sin. Death was all we knew. We had a malady that we couldn't fix. Just Jesus stepped into our lives. He put his hand on our casket. The rest is history. Nothing stays dead when Jesus shows up. I think I hear the Lord calling your name today. Young man, young woman, arise into a brand new life. You know, something that stands out to me in this passage is the word widow. In verse 11 and 12, it says, it happened that day, the day after when he went went to a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him in a large crowd. When he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was carried out, the only son of his mother, and she, she was a widow. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. You know, if you go and look at in the Bible, there's something special between the Lord and widows. There's something special there. Because 
You know, when you think about it, you think a widow, what is a widow by definition? She's lost her, her husband. You know, what, what is a husband? If you look at the, at the name of a husband, it, it's quite revealing. The word husband comes from the phrase house bond. He is, the, he is the guarantor of that house. He guarantees protection, spiritual protection, financial provision. He is the overseer, the steward, the manager of that house. He is the house bonds, the husbands. And when a woman loses her husband, there is a, there's a special opportunity for the, the heavenly husband to take on a new importance and a new role. Jesus stepped into this woman's life and he took responsibility for this house. In actuality, he became the house bun. He became the husband. He became married to this widow. You know, you don't have to be physically widowed for Christ to become your husband. He wants to come and take ownership in your life. He wants to come and take responsibility in your life. He wants to take responsibility, first of all, for your sins. When he looks into someone's face and says, be of good courage, son, Your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. What he's saying is I, myself, am taking responsibility for your sins. I came to take your place. I came to die your death. Go in peace and be forgiven. He looks into your life. And he says, I take responsibility. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of your family. I'll take care of your needs. Put your family, regardless of How miserable it looks. You know, this woman had no way, no way she could fix her dead boy. No way, nothing she could do. He was beyond her care, beyond her help. Put your family, put your lost children, put your lost husband, put your lost wife, Put your lost dreams. Put them in the hand of God. Let Jesus come and put his hand on the casket of your life and watch and see what he'll do. You know, I want to give you a couple of other examples. We're talking about women who received their dead back from from, to life. There's this other story in the ministry of Jesus of this Canaanite woman. Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out from the region from, 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 she was Syrophoenician from the area of Caesarea Philippi on the edge, the outer edge of the nation of Israel, actually at the beach. Jesus had taken his, his disciples to the beach for a getaway, for some quiet time to reflect and to get some rest. And, it said, and, and, and Jesus was there and this woman, this Canaanite woman, it came to him crying out, crying out, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. She had no claim to the son of David. She was a Canaanite. She was a Gentile. And Jesus asked, answered her accordingly. She said, my daughter's severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And he went on to explain why he didn't answer her a word. He said, I'm not sent To the Gentiles, I'm sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she answered him very an unusual way. She said, but Lord, Lord, even the dogs under the table can get a few crumbs from the master's table. 
He couldn't turn her away. Impossible to turn her away. Her daughter was delivered. She wasn't physically dead, but she was dead. She was demonized. She had lost her daughter. Some of you have lost your sons or lost your daughters to this world, to alcohol or to substance abuse or to immorality or to prison or to whatever it is. I'm telling you, even though they're beyond your help, there is a God who has your back. He has your back. He has your back. He loves to intervene in situations when dead children are unhelpable in the natural, where he steps on the scene and he turns the situation totally around. He has your back and he loves you. You know, I love this this story. I I read a blog about this as a result called Christ Died for the Ungodly. It's about a Gentile mom. A Gentile, you know, many of us were raised as non-Christians. Oh, we had a, a form of godliness. You know, I went to Sunday school as a child, but, but my dad was not a Christian. He wasn't living for Christ. My mom was not living for Christ. My, my grandparents weren't living for Christ. I came from a long line of alcoholics. They were all, why does it get quiet when I say stuff like that? Alcoholics. They were alcoholics. I had, I had so many people dying of lung cancer from smoking cigarettes and from complications that come from alcoholism and whatever else. It was like you could go back. It's my ancestral history. I, had, I was a, a pagan. I was without hope and without God. Jesus came and interrupted my life on the lakefront here in New Orleans, Louisiana. He interrupted my life. He came and interrupted my life, and my life was changed. He interrupted this Canaanite woman's life. He, this girl was without hope, and he touched her and changed her life. In this, in this blog, it says, if you really think about it, this verse is a prophetic glimpse into the future of the church. He was looking, he, had a, he was on the edge of Israel, and he was, he was anticipating the coming ministry of the Apostle Paul, of the Gentile revival that was going to shake the world, that's still shaking the world today. He had you and me in mind, without hope and without God, Gentiles from every tribe and every tongue, as he preached and as he spoke into this woman's life. It was a prophetic glimpse. Jesus was called to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but sometimes he couldn't help himself. He just had to reach out to the hurting that came to him. He spent most of his time in Israel. This is one of those few occasions when he ventured to the edge of his homeland for rest and reflection. This desperate Gentile woman was desperate for a miracle. She said all she needed was a crumb of children's bread, just a crumb to set her daughter free. Like the Roman centurion, her faith caught the attention of the Lord's. I'm skipping to the bottom of the blog. It says, most of the church today is Gentile. We are all godless pagans, without hope, without God, without a claim to God. Like this Syrophoenician woman, just, Jesus just happened to come by her way. Oh, it wasn't just by accident. It was a divine appointment just like I had a divine appointment by the Mardi Gras fountain that August summer evening in 1973. It wasn't an accident that night. It was a divine appointment. This woman had a divine appointment with God. None of us had a claim on God. 
He came to us indiscriminately. He came into our lives and his kindness changed us forever. That's why I say this miracle was prophetic. It was a glimpse into the things to come. Maybe your past wasn't so great. Maybe you have no Christian heritage. That's okay. Christ died to save sinners. He came for people like you and like me, like Mary Magdalene. He reached into her life, drove the demons out, and made her into a woman of faith. I want to skip down. I want to skip ahead and talk to you just for a few moments about others, other women who, raised, who had their, their dead raised back to life. The one that stands out as the most obvious is Mary and Martha, two friends of Jesus. And their, their dead brother was raised back to life. John wrote about it in John chapter 1. John chapter 11, he wrote about, about, about these women and about, about this miracle, about Lazarus being raised from the dead. It says in John 11 too, now just think about it, John made an interesting remark in John 11 too when he was about to tell the story about Lazarus being raised from the dead, about a woman who received her dead back to life again. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. It wasn't just any ordinary woman who received her brother, dead brother, back to life. It wasn't just any ordinary Mary that received her dead brother back to life. It was a particular Mary. Which one was it? It was the one that anointed his feet with oil. Why did John make that connection? He made that connection because it's important. Mary was pointed out as an example. Jesus said, what she did for me is going to be spoken about in all the world over these next generations. What she did for me was she anointed my feet with her spicknard. She anointed my head with the oil. She anointed my feet with the oil. She washed my feet with her tears and with her hair. She found her role at his feet, ministering to the Lord. You know, it's our first, it's our first job as a Christian, is ministry to the Lord. She found her place. She found her place. You know, she, she had found this place early on, a, a few years back. Mary and Martha were entertaining Jesus at the home and Martha was cooking the dinner and Mary was seated at the Lord's feet and Martha began to complain about Mary. Tell her to help me fix dinner. And Jesus said, Martha, leave her alone. You're worried about so many things. But she has chosen the best part. She's seated at my feet. She's ministering to the Lord. She's pouring out her love on Jesus, there is a connection. Listen, listen carefully to me. If you've got dead things in your family, if you've got dead things in your personal life, if somehow you're dead, your husband is dead, your children are dead, your finances are dead, your health is dead, something has died inside of you, I'm telling you, resurrection for those circumstances is connected to being at his feet. Being at his feet, it's the place where dead things come alive. Get at his feet and worship. 
Minister to the Lord. Get on your face before him and worship him. Get in, get in the services and get under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Worship the Lord. Sing to the Lord in your heavenly language. Let his presence sweep over you. Worship him and pour out your oil. Pour out your love upon Jesus. You know, in, in this story, it goes on. If we read the, this first couple of verses in this passage, drawing connections between people who saw their dead raised back to life. There was a certain man sick, John said, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters said to him, sent to him saying, now listen to this, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. He whom you love. You know, that's not said about many people in the Bible. It was said about John. It's talking about a, a human love. It was talking about a, a personal friendship is what this, this verse is talking about. There was a, a special connection between Lazarus it goes on to say in verse 11, verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I want you to read this verse with me. Read this with me. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. This is describing a, a special human relationship that Jesus enjoyed with this family. These were his personal friends. This is where he would go for his downtime. This is where he'd go for, for dinner after synagogue services. This is where he'd spend the night if he was passing through town. These were his friends. These were friends of God in a very special way. It's not a coincidence that these friends received a miracle. Are you a friend of God? Are you a friend of God? Is he, is he your friend? Do you spend time with him? Do you talk with him? Do you minister at his feet, pouring out the oil on his feet? Do you love him? Do you love him and, and pour your affection upon him? When you do, when you begin to pour out your love upon Jesus, there's a relationship, a bond that's formed. And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, he will never forget, he'll never forget his friends. He'll never deny his friends. He'll never overlook his friends. He will always show up for his friends when they're hurting. Always. May not be when you want. It might be four days late. But four days late is right on time when you're talking about Jesus. Four days late is right on time. His friends. Here's the last person I want to mention to you before we pray. It's another woman who received her, her son back from the dead in the Old Testament. It's the story of Elijah and the widow from Zarephath. She was, um, where Elijah was, you know, he was really reaping the fruit of his own prayers. If you remember, he prayed and the heavens were shut up for seven years. Well, he lived there. That meant he didn't get any water either. And he ended up going out in the wilderness and living by a brook and, and he was drinking from the brook every night. And this went on for months and months and months. And, then, and, and it says that bread and that these ravens would come and bring him bread and meat every, every day. Wow, supernatural. He was, he was living from the bread and the meat and from the water. But the drought got even more severe and the brook dried up. 
What are you doing, God? What's going on? I'm your prophet. The brook's dried up. The ravens are all dead. What am I going to eat? And he said, Elijah, I want you to go down to Zarephath. I have commanded a widow there to provide for you, he said. So he went down and he found this woman. She, he found this woman outside of town. She was gathering sticks. And he asked her, what are you doing? She says, I'm gathering sticks. I'm going to build a fire. I'm going to taste, take the last little flour from the bottom of my barrel and cook a cake. My son and I are going to eat it. And then we're going to die. So much for faith and hope, huh? And this is what Elijah said. He said, well, go ahead and make the cake, but give me one first. And she did. And the Bible says that they ate from that barrel for, for months and months and months. That barrel never got to the bottom. It just had more, happened to have more flour every day. God provided supernaturally for Elijah and for this widow and for her son until the drought was over. Well, this boy died after the drought was over. He just up and died, got sick and died. And she brought Elijah, her son. She brought her son to Elijah. And Elijah ministered to him, stretched his body out over on his son, and, and this boy was received back to life again. You know, as I was reading this story and thinking, what is the unique thing about this woman that stands out to me? This woman, to me, represents Christians today that are married, married to Christ and his church. Married. She wasn't, she wasn't, if you read the story, she told Elijah, uh, you're not getting away from me. I'm, I'm following you. I don't care what happens. I don't care what the circumstances are. You're not getting away from me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick by your side. Now, there wasn't a romantic relationship. They weren't married. There was no personal relationship like that. This was Christ and the church and this woman in need. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, if you've got dead stuff in your life, Get connected, get connected, get connected, get connected. There's life in his house. There's life in his church. There's life in his people. Get connected in a small group. Get connected in church services. Get connected to the body of Christ. Become married to the house of God. This becomes our life. It's not a thing, oh, I'll check out Walgreens or Rite Aid or, or whatever. No, this is my house. I am part of Victory Fellowship. This is part of my DNA. I've been planted here by God. And I'm connected to this house. And in this, this house for me is a place where dead things come alive in my life. Do you have something dead? I'm telling you, don't be surprised when Jesus puts his hand on your caskets and you hear something wrestling around on the inside of it. Open up, let me out. He's going to do a miracle in your life. He's a life changer. He's a miracle worker. Thanks for listening. Check out our website at www.victoryfellowship.net for service times and for more information.